Well, good morning. When Jaden read the beginning part there of our morning reading, did you note there? It says the reading and especially the preaching of God's word is used to convict sinners and build up believers in holiness. And that just happens to be the subject matter that I'm preaching on this morning. And by the way, Bradley, thank you for that song. I've been singing that, and I'm not a singer. <laughs> but I've been, that, that song's been on my heart, and I've been singing it all week. It's amazing. And my good, good friend Don Stewart is here this morning. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for enabling Don to be here. Yes, my subject matter is holiness. And I'm going to approach it from two different points because the first point, as as Mel so aptly pointed out, we're going to be looking at the holiness of God. But along with that, if you note it in the scripture, we're going to be looking at the holiness of man. It's not an option. About 41 years ago this month, I was led of the Lord to teach a series on holiness to my Sunday school class because I felt that was a need in the church in that day. 41 years later now, it's still a need. Our churches are not holy. We're not holy. But did you know that God demands a pure church, a holy church? Part of the problem is, is that we need to be saved from the debilitating, spiritually fatal effects of our watered-down, powerless gospel. We don't talk about sin, so we don't talk about holiness. Yet holiness is very much a scriptural idea. Did you know that the word holy is used in various forms more than 600 times in the Bible? Might be important, huh? One whole book, Leviticus, is devoted to the subject of holiness. But more importantly, God specifically commands us to be holy. And you can see that in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. To be holy is to be morally blameless. It is to be separated from sin and therefore consecrated to God. The word signifies separation to God and the conduct is, is to be befitting of that very thing. We're to be separated. We're to be different. I got so many Bibles up here I don't have room. <laughs> The Bible speaks of holiness in contrast to being vile and wicked, Revelation twenty two eleven. To live a holy life is to live a life in conformity to the moral precepts of the Bible and in contrast to the sinful ways of the world. That's holiness. It is to live a life characterized by the putting off of the old self and putting on the new. The new is being, uh, the life is being corrupted by its de- deceitful desires. 
and we're to put on the new life, which was created to be like God in righteousness, true righteousness, and holiness. If holiness then is so, so basic to the Christian life, why do we not experience it more life, in life? Why do so many Christians feel constantly defeated in their struggle with sin? Why does the church of Jesus Christ so often seem to be more conformed to the world around it than to God? To answer these questions, we'll first consider the holiness of God. We'll first consider, and, and this one is easy. <laughs> There's no doubt, is there, that God is holy? This is where holiness begins, not with ourselves, but with God. And it is only as we see His holiness, His absolute purity and moral hatred of sin, that we will be gripped by the awfulness of sin against the holy God. To be gripped by that fact is the first step in our pursuit of holiness. A reminder of the scripture that Mel read for us, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. It says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. That's our calling. Now, yes, I'm going to say it at the very outset. Yes, we all know that when we came to Christ in, in salvation... Christ's righteousness was imputed to us. But there's more to that, as we'll see in the scripture here. Holiness is something that we too are to strive after, not depending totally that we're going to get there by the Holy Spirit's work in our life. Though the scripture says in Philippians 1, 6, that he that begun a good work in you will, will complete it. And it will be completed. But we have a place to play in that. God has called every Christian to a holy life. There are no exceptions to this call. It's not a call only to pastors, missionaries, and maybe a few dedicated Sunday school teachers. Every Christian of every nation is called to be holy. This call to a holy life is based on the fact that God himself is holy. That's what we just read in the scripture. Because God is holy, He requires, He requires, He requires that we be holy. Many Christians have what we might call a cultural holiness. That is, we seem to kind of adapt our character and our behavior patterns because of those around us. But as Christians, God doesn't want that. We're not called of that kind. God has not called us to be like those around us, right? He says we're a peculiar people. We're different. He has called us to be like himself. Holiness is nothing less than conformity to the character of God. Conformity to the character of God. As used in scripture, holiness describes both the majesty of God 
and the purity and moral perfection of his nature. Holiness is one of his attributes. Holiness is an essential part of the nature of God. His holiness is as necessary as his existence or as necessary as his wisdom or omniscience. Just as he cannot but know what is right, so he cannot but do what is right. God's holiness then is perfect freedom from all evil. We think of the holiness of God as the absolute absence of any evil in him. John, the apostle said in 1 John 1, 5, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. What John is telling us there is that God is absolutely free from any moral evil and that he is himself the essence of moral purity. The holiness of God also includes his perfect conformity to his own divine character. That is, all of his thoughts and actions are consistent with his holy character. By contrast, consider our own lives. Over time, as we mature in the Christian life, we develop a certain degree of Christian character. We grow in such areas as truthfulness, purity, and humility. But we do not always act consistently with our character. We sometimes tell a little lie. We think it's a little lie. Or we might entertain impure thoughts. And then we don't like ourselves. We want to be more consistent than that, don't we? But this never happens to God. He's never inconsistent in this way. He's always acting consistently with his holy character. And it is this standard of holiness that God has called us to when he says, be holy because I am holy. The absolute holiness of God should be of great comfort and assurance to us. If God is perfectly holy, then we can be confident that his actions toward us are always perfect and always just. But it is impossible in the very nature of God that he should ever be unfair because he's holy. All his actions are holy. Sometimes we complain against God not realizing that in fact that is to deny his holiness and say that he's not fair. Be careful against complaining against him. Job says in Job 34, 18, 19, Is it fit to say to a king, Thou art wicked, and to princes that you are ungodly? Well, that's what you're saying when you complain against God. Be careful. Acknowledging his holiness is one of the ways we're to praise God. According to John's vision of heaven described in Revelation 4, you know that story well. 
the four living creatures around God's throne never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Revelation 4.8. Holy, holy, holy. You don't read anywhere where it says love, love, love. Or just, 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 even though he is all of those things. But he's holy, holy, holy. Isaiah had a similar vision of God's glory. In Isaiah chapter 6 verse 3 where he again saw holy, holy, holy God. When Moses was praising God for the deliverance of the Israelites from Pharaoh's army, he sang of God's holiness. In Exodus fifteen eleven. he said, Who is like thee among the gods, O Lord? Who is like thee, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? God is often called in Scripture by such names as the Holy One or the Holy One of Israel. Imagine for a moment that God possessed omnipotence, omniscience, and omnipresence, but without perfect holiness. Such a one could no longer be described as God. For holiness is the perfection of all his other attributes. His power is holy power. His mercy is holy mercy. His wisdom is holy wisdom. It is his holiness more than any other attribute that makes him worthy of our praise. Worthy, worthy of our praise. But God demands more than that we acknowledge his holiness because he says to us, be holy because I am holy. God rightfully demands perfect holiness in all of his moral creatures. It cannot be otherwise. He cannot possibly ignore or prove any evil that we commit. He cannot for one moment relax his perfect standard of holiness. Instead, he must say, so be holy in all you do. In all that you do. Habakkuk in Habakkuk 1.13 says, Thine eyes are too pure to approve evil, and, there, and thou canst not look on wickedness with favor. Because God is holy, he can never excuse or overlook any sin that we commit, no matter how small it may be. We Christians, though, justified solely through the righteousness of Christ, should ponder carefully the words of the writer to the Hebrews. Mill read this also. Make every effort. Now here it is, see. We're to make every effort to be holy. For without holiness, no one shall see the Lord. Now it was these two scriptures that gripped my heart. 41 years ago, and again as soon as pastor asked me to preach. It's a serious thing. It's a serious thing because I don't believe that we fully understand what it means to be holy. And yet we're to make every effort. 
make every effort to be holy. For without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Have you ever thought about what that says? Or do you just glibly read past it? Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Because God is holy, he hates sin. Even that little lie that I mentioned a few minutes ago that seems so unimportant at the time we do it. God's attitude towards sin is that he hates it. He hates sin. Therefore, every time we sin, we're doing something God hates. He hates our lustful thoughts, our pride and jealousy, our outburst of temper, and our rationalization that the end justifies the means. We need to be as he, we, we, when we see sin as he does, we should be gripped. We should be gripped by the fact that God hates all of these things. We become so accustomed to our sins that we sometimes lapse into a state of peaceful coexistence with them. But God never ceases to hate sin. We need to cultivate in our own hearts the same hatred of sin that God has. For the hatred of sin lies at the root of all true holiness. We must cultivate. We must cultivate the attitude of Joseph who said when he was tempted, How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? Genesis 39, 9. In the deceitfulness of our hearts, we sometimes play with the temptation by entertaining the thought that we can always confess later. I mean, after all, I never will forget, and you, I hope this has never been true of you, but because it's willful sin, when we go into it thinking that, well, oh well, just like David, he committed adultery, but he was forgiven. Don't ever do, don't ever do that. Don't rationalize sin away. Don't think that he's going to overlook it because you can ask forgiveness and he's going to forgive you. Or don't go into the sin knowing because God has said that I, I, I will. For, he's going to forgive your sins past, present, and future. And we don't have to own up to that sin. So we, we don't do that. That thinking like that is exceedingly dangerous. God's judgment is without partiality. He never, he never overlooks our sin. Frequent contemplation on the holiness of God and his consequent hatred of sin is a strong deterrent against trifling with sin. We're told to live our lives on earth as strangers in reverence and fear. 1 Peter 1.17 The love of God to us through Jesus Christ should be our primary motivation to holiness. Did you hear that? Let me repeat that. The love of God to us through Jesus Christ should be our primary motivation to holiness. But a motivation prompted by God's hatred of sin and his consequent judgment on it is no less biblical. Folks, we must see him as he is, holy, holy, holy. 
We must know Him. We must know Him. Not about Him. We must know Him. Holy. 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 And we must obey Him because if we do not, then He's not our Lord. Folks, the rest of my notes are just not that important if we don't know Him. That's the key to it. You know, I've been around a while. I've taught the Bible for 50-something years. And I understand even better it seems like in recent days, when in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul had this to say. And I got, I'm, I'm reading this from the Amplified Bible because I like the way he presents it here. Listen to this. Philippians chapter 3 verse 10. Verse 10. Listen carefully. This is Paul writing this now. And this is not at the beginning of his ministry. This is toward the end of his ministry. Toward the end of his ministry. He says, For my determined purpose is that I may know him. My determined purpose is that I may know him. That I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him. Perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. And that I may in that same way come to know the power outflowing or outflowing from his resurrection, which it exerts over believers. Isn't that something? Paul, at the end of his ministry, says, my determined purpose is to know him. Do you want to know him like that? Do, well, let me ask you this. Do you know him like that? In, in recent days, I've wondered that about myself. Oh, I know all about him. I read the scriptures faithfully. I've preached the scriptures faithfully. But in all that time, I, I couldn't help but wonder, have I... Have I somehow missed the main thing? <laughs> and that is knowing Him. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm a fallen creature. And I, don't, I really, folks, just don't have the words to express to you in this moment how serious it is that if we are going to be holy, we must know Him. Intimately, like Paul expressed here. Because holiness is not an option. And this is my second point. Let's talk about personal holiness now. Yes, God is holy. And yes, we need to know Him if we're to be like Him. That's what sanctification is all about, right? Being made more like Jesus. That's what you want, isn't it? 
because we do not have a firm conviction that without holiness no one will see the Lord, we do not seriously pursue holiness as a priority in our lives. We make choices every day whether we're going to follow the will of God, whether we're going to follow His commandments for that day, or whether we're just going to go about our business. Now, just what do these words, without holiness, no one will see the Lord, actually mean? Does our salvation in the final analysis depend to some degree on our attaining some level of personal holiness? On this question, the Scripture is clear on two points. First, the best Christians can never in themselves merit salvation through their personal holiness. Our, our righteous deeds are like filthy garments in the light of God's holy law. Our best works are stained and polluted with imperfection and sin. Secondly, Scripture repeatedly refers to the obedience and righteousness of Christ on our behalf. For it says in Romans 5, 19, For just as, though, just as through the disobedience of one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ died for your sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. In Hebrews 10.5-9, we read that Christ came to do the will of the Father. So the writer of Hebrews had this to say, And by that will... We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So we see that our holiness before God depends entirely on the work of Jesus Christ for us by God's will. So does Hebrews twelve fourteen refer then to this holiness which we have in Christ? No. For at this point, the writer of Hebrews speaks of a holiness which we are to strive after. As I said earlier, we're to make, he says, we're to make every effort to be holy. And without this holiness, the writer says, no one will see the Lord. Scripture speaks of both a holiness which we have in Christ before God and a holiness which we are to strive after. These two aspects of holiness complement one another. For our salvation is a, fa- is a salvation to holiness. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7. Paul says there, For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 2. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy. The word sanctified here means made holy. That is, we are sanctified here, being made holy. We are through Christ made holy in our standing before God and called to be holy in our daily lives. After salvation, then what? How are we to live? We're to live separated to God. We're to live according to His will. We are, are, we're to live according to the way He walked. 
So the writer of Hebrews is telling us to take seriously the necessity of personal, practical holiness. When the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and our salvation, He comes to make us holy in practice. If there is not then at least a yearning in our hearts to live a holy life pleasing to God, we need to seriously question whether our faith in Christ is real. That yearning should be there. That desiring to be more like Jesus should be there. It is true that this desire for holiness may be small in the beginning. But as we continue to grow, it should grow. A desire to live a life wholly pleasing to God should be uh, becoming more and more a part of us. True salvation brings with it a desire to be made holy. When God saves us through Christ, He not only saves us from the penalty of sin, but also from its dominion. See, sin doesn't have dominion over us anymore. The whole purpose of our salvation is that we be holy and blameless in His sight. Ephesians 1, 4. To continue to live in sin as a Christian is to go contrary to God's very purpose for our salvation. One of the writers some centuries ago said this, quote, What a strange kind of salvation do they desire that care not for holiness. They would be saved by Christ and yet out of Christ in a fleshly state. They would have their sins forgiven, not that they may walk with God in love, but they, that they may practice their enmity against Him without any fear of punishment. That's presumption, isn't it? In the worst kind of way. Holiness then is not necessary as a condition of salvation because that would be salvation by works, but as a part of salvation that is received by faith in Christ. Now listen to this. This is from Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Paul said, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us, what is, what teaches us? The grace of God. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live, listen, self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Could it get any plainer or clearer than that? The same grace that brings salvation teaches us to renounce ungodly living. God's nature demands holiness in the life of a Christian. When He calls us to salvation, He calls us to fellowship with Himself and His Son, Jesus Christ. How then can we have fellowship with Him if we are not walking in light? Holiness then is required for fellowship with God. David asked a question. Psalm 15, 1. O Lord, who may abide in thy tent? Who may dwell on thy holy hill? What's the answer to that? The answer is given in the next four verses. Who may do all of these things? Who? 
He who leads a holy life. The psalmist said, if I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So our prayer life is hindered if we're not living a holy life. To regard wickedness is to cherish some sin, to love it to the extent that I'm not willing to part with it. I know it's there, yet I justify it in some way. When we're holding on to some sin, we're not pursuing holiness. And we cannot have fellowship with God. Now, God does not require a perfect, sinless life to have fellowship with Him. But He does require that we be serious about holiness. He does require that we be serious in that we grieve over sin instead of justifying it. That we earnestly pursue holiness as a way of life. You see, our Christianity is not something that's Sunday and Wednesday. Christian, to be a Christian is a follower of Christ. So if we're going to be a follower of Christ, it's not just Sunday and Wednesday. It's every day. Every day. He's first. If we don't hate father and mother, brother and sister and so forth, you can't be one of my disciples. That's what Jesus said. What's he saying there? We literally hate our parents? No, we don't put anything, even our closest loved ones, ahead of him. He's a jealous God. When God speaks to us about some sin, we need to heed it and take action. To fail to deal with that sin is to risk incurring his hand of discipline. Peter said, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. 1 Peter 1.17. God's serious about holiness in our lives. Paul said in 2 Timothy 2.21. If a man cleanse himself from ignoble purposes, he will be an instrument for noble persons made holy useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. Holiness and usefulness are linked together. We cannot bring our service to God in an unclean vessel. When we indulge our sinful natures and dwell in unholiness, the Spirit of God is grieved. Ephesians 4.30 And and it says there will not prosper our service. Our lives are not to be characterized by unholy living. Holiness is necessary for our assurance of salvation. Not at the moment of salvation, but over the course of our lives. True faith will always show itself by its fruits. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things pass away and all things become new. The only self-evident Evidence that we are in Christ is a holy life. John said, everyone who has within him the hope of eternal life purifies himself just as Christ is pure. 1 John 3, 3. Paul said, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. If we know nothing of holiness, we may flatter ourselves that we are Christians, 
but we do not have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. So I would ask you this morning, is there evidence of practical holiness in your life? In my life? Do we desire and strive after holiness? Do we grieve over a lack of it and earnestly seek the help of God to be holy? It is not those who profess to know Christ who will enter heaven, but those who have lives that are holy. Even those who do great Christian works will not enter heaven unless they do the will of God. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And here we're told to be ye holy even as I am holy. We must surrender our hearts and lives to Jesus. Without holiness, no one shall see the Lord. I'm going to back up just a little bit and reiterate and reemphasize that this holiness that we're to have is impossible unless we know Him intimately first. When we see Him in all of His glory, when we see Him in His holiness, when we see Him in His majesty, and we come to know Him, He's holy, holy, holy. And we're to be holy just as He is holy. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, please help us to rightly see you in your perfection, in your holiness, all of your majesty, all of your glory. And when we do, we will fall on our knees before you and surrender to your will and your way for our lives. I think and hope and pray that every person in this room today wants this, desires to be holy, desires to be like Jesus so that we might be the proper witness. Our actions must reflect what we say. God help us. We thank you for the fact that your Holy Spirit resides in us and is in, in the process of making this holiness real. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving us. Oh, God, all I can say is praise your holy name. And it's in that perfect and righteous name that I pray. Amen.